Welcome back to these recordings of class content prepared for the Laurel Heights Church of Christ, made available for anyone with an interest in this part of God's Word. Speaking for myself, I'm really enjoying these studies in Proverbs, and it seems to me with each new chapter there is an added dimension, wisdom from God available to us in so many ways. Yes, there is repetition. We have noted earlier there is value in repetition, but as we move through the sequence of the chapters, it seems to me with each new chapter there is another level or dimension of wisdom for us to review and for our urgent daily application. We are in Proverbs chapter 6. The opening verses are about wise caution. In the midsection, the ant becomes our instructor in connection with this. The worldly, wicked man is described and condemned. And then the familiar passage, there are six things the Lord hates. The rest of chapter 6 relates to the warning about sexual temptation. We're going to get started now in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. My son... If you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared by the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Has this ever happened to you? A friend or relative really needs a car, but either they have no established credit, or they've made some mistakes, and their credit rating doesn't qualify them to borrow the money. They need a cosigner and you want to help, you see the tight spot they are in out of compassion and the generosity taught back in chapter 3, you agree to be the cosigner. You use what you have to help someone, and what you have is credibility. When you sign, you're making a promise that if your friend or relative defaults on the loan, you will assume the debt. Sometimes, maybe most of the time, this turns out okay. You backed up your friend. You didn't have to assume any debt. They made the payments. All is well. You helped someone. End of story. But there are those other cases where the whole deal turns bad. The primary party cannot pay or will not pay. The debt falls on you. You have to pay. You cannot walk away. What is the counsel of this passage? First, like so many other passages in Proverbs, the counsel implied here is to pause before you get into this deal. Consider, should you do this? Do you really understand what the nature of your promise is? It is more than just a signature. And the counsel is, follow an open, honest approach. We must not walk away from promises. We can't just ignore it and say nothing. 
Much of Proverbs is about avoiding impulse, pausing to ponder and being honest, how we handle money, how we handle people in conflict, self-discipline. That's all before us in the first five verses of Proverbs chapter 6. If you're going to back someone up, think carefully about that before entering into the deal, and if it goes bad, don't walk away. Christians just don't walk away from bad risk. After we have committed to back someone up, if it goes bad, we deal with that, with the person and with the money that is due. We deal with that openly and honestly. In these sorts of deals, a relationship has been formed. And no matter why it goes bad, the relationship must be maintained with honesty, being frank, patient, open. Wisdom is connected with caution. Next in verses 6 through 11, the sluggard is taken to school. He is enrolled in school and his teacher is the ant. Now, that in itself is humiliating and begins to carry the message. Here is an able-bodied man who hasn't been active or responsible. And Solomon is telling this sluggard that he needs to enroll in school and his teacher is the ant. Look at verses 6 through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise without having any chief officer or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer, gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. Now, here is something made clear by the Holy Spirit all through the Bible. In every dispensation, Old Testament, New Testament, individual responsibility, industry, the biblical work ethic. The phrase work ethic properly understood is rooted in biblical culture and teaching. Deeper than that, it is derived from God's will. It's a matter of God's will. <coughs> Even before sin, God expected Adam and Eve to get up every day and work. Able-bodied people are to be engaged in providing for themselves and those they are responsible for. It is a joy God has granted unto man to be able to take care of himself and not sit around waiting for entitlements. There is Ecclesiastes 3.22, So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Look ahead. What will you need in the future? What about your family and their needs, people toward whom you have responsibility? Beware of that easy propensity to be lazy. Your poverty can come on like a prowler or like an armed man. So, think of it this way. Solomon sends the sluggard to school, telling him to learn hard work from 
the ant. Ants are self-motivated. They work today for tomorrow's need. They are not addicted to sleep, and they survive. At my house in Edinburgh, Texas, during certain times of the year, hardy leaf-cutter ants come through my yard and strip the trees and the plants. They don't kill the plant. They just quickly, sometimes overnight, remove the foliage from the plant and take it away. They work quickly. They are united. And if you disrupt their line of workers or their little parade, they quickly find another route and they keep working. It is an amazing sense of industry and teamwork God has embedded in the little minds of these little creatures. And the point here in Proverbs 6 is, we can learn about hard work and teamwork and the value of work by watching these little guys go to work. The Creator made these little creatures with a mind to work, to work together, to store up what they need in the future, and to teach lazy human beings. Apparently that's one of their functions. Sluggards sit around and wait for something to turn up, often without enough energy to even beg. They feel entitled. They let others work for them. They procrastinate, sit around, and later in Proverbs, Solomon will take aim at them again. Verses 12 through 15. 12 through 15. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment he will be broken beyond healing. The plainness of speech in the book of Proverbs is quite refreshing. There is this troublemaker, a rather lively picture of one who is morally dead, but always making a deal, busy with crooked speech, sending little signals and gesturing and sowing discord. Where there is unity and peace, this man can come in and determine to stir something up. The sluggard stays home, lies around, barely enough energy to eat, no ambition. The wicked man is busy, but he's doing all the wrong things. He's working his deception. He's sowing discord. He's making deals, setting himself up for his own calamity, taking victims with him. So there are some characters that we meet in the book of Proverbs. After the strong words of caution about co-signing the sluggard, and then the wicked man or worthless man. These kind of people are in politics and churches. They tear up neighborhoods and families and communities. God wants us to be wise, watchful, disciplined. Are there others? Oh, yes, six or seven. I'm reading verses 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, 
a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Now let's talk about this. First, what if you just quoted three words from this passage? No context. You just quote three words. The Lord hates. Well, there might be some pushback here. People would respond by saying, God is a God of love. God loves. He doesn't hate. My response is, because God loves with a perfect love, he must hate everything that is evil, that is the opposite of his perfect love. I need to say that again. Because God loves with a perfect love, he must hate everything that is evil, that is the opposite of his love. Then I would add, of course, that the context of the statement is critical. This is not a generic hatefulness as seen in mankind. Some people just hate. That's not what this is. This is God's perfect holiness and justice that requires a negative response to injustice and unholiness. So what does God hate? What examples are given here? I'll say something about each one. Haughty eyes. That's a look of pride, a countenance, a look that communicates a superior attitude, a lying tongue. No question, this is about saying what isn't true. God hates dishonesty. Hands that shed innocent blood. I can't read this without thinking about the modern practice of abortion that God hates. A heart that devises wicked plans. This is obviously not the good and honest heart. No, this is the heart that finds and plans ways to carry out evil. God hates that. Feet that make haste to run to evil. Word goes out in a group or a community or among a group of people that there is a fight, there's trouble, there's evil. And there are those who use their feet to get there as quick as they can. God hates that. A false witness who breathes out lies, giving false testimony, perjury. God hates that. One who sows discord among brothers. This is not about a sincere stand for truth against error. No, this is an attitude that is immature and malicious, seeking to divide. God hates that. What God loves is unity. Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. All right, it's takeaway time. I have four. Number one, wisdom and caution are always connected. And this chapter opens with caution. <clears throat> I don't take this. I don't take this to be an absolute prohibition against all co-signing or similar agreements to help somebody. There may be cases where this is the kind of help we can provide for a brother or a sister, child, or grandchild. What this is about here in Proverbs is caution, and this is honesty and transparency when such a deal goes bad. Primary to all of this is be careful what you sign. 
Number two, I'm doubtful that I am speaking now to any sluggards. You took the time to listen to this recording. You found this. You opened this. You're listening up to this point. You are a seeker of wisdom, I will assume. If you know people who are chronically lazy and who still have some remaining conscience, can we take them to this passage? It might not be a suggestion that would be pleasantly welcomed at first, but this is an extremely dramatic description of being chronically lazy and the ruin that comes from such inaction and immaturity and irresponsibility. Number three, watch out for the kind of person described in verses 12 through 15, and when you see those signs of deception, I'm back to that word caution. They claim to have a deal for you, but there is nothing about it that is for you. It's all for them, their ill-gotten gain. Caution. Number four, look back through those things the Lord hates. And I'll make one more point. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. What I'm going to say may seem trivial, but I believe it contains a point. Look at this passage and ask what is common in the imagery. What is common in the imagery of this passage? Parts of the body. Eyes, tongue, hands, heart, and feet. Now what does that tell us? That our bodies were made by God and should be devoted to God so that we use our bodies to glorify God. Through Christ, our Redeemer, we can be forgiven of sin and we can use our bodies with energy and zeal to please and honor God. Well, that's our study for this time. Please visit the Laurel Heights Church of Christ website and give us your comments and give us some contact information so we can get in touch with you. And thank you for listening.